Hello and welcome to Lupus LA's Your Story, Our Fight podcast, brought to you by our good friends at GSK. I'm Adam Selkowitz, and I am super excited to introduce you today to Liz Morasso. Liz is one of our partners in crime in the fight against lupus and has been working with us for a dozen more years, uh, mostly with Children's Hospital and with pediatric rheumatology. Um, Liz is a clinical social worker now at UCLA, um, and she's also a lupus patient. And so she brings a really unique perspective to our conversation today. So Liz, I know you were diagnosed at 16, just yeah. like me, we're like twins. And, yeah. um, but t- tell me your diagnosis story. Sure. So I started having some symptoms the sophomore year um, of high school in the summertime. Um, started having some fatigue, um, some joint and muscle pain, but nothing really significant. Um, but it eventually got worse and worse to the point where um, I saw a pediatric rheumatologist and was diagnosed with RA. Um, when I got that diagnosis, I was so relieved. I mean, as scary as it was, as overwhelming as it was, it just felt like we had something concrete, something tangible um, for me and my family to attack. Um, So I was put on medication. My symptoms were somewhat managed for a little while, um, but did gradually begin to decline. So I went back to my rheumatologist for follow-up and they did further testing. um, And about two to three months later, I was diagnosed with SLE. Um, so I went from that RA diagnosis, you know, that fear, overwhelming feeling again with, with having some symptoms back, um, to kind of another relieving diagnosis of lupus. Um, and I think me and my family just really felt like at least we had some answers at that point, um, and could really make informed decisions around how we would move forward with this. It sounds, I mean, it sounds to me like in the, compared to a lot of the other, lupus stories we hear, that was a relatively quick process. Um, How did that allow you to manage your illness or get a handle on it? That's a great question. Um, It was a lot in a short period of time, but I also recognize that it's a lot um, in a longer period of time for many other patients. So I'm not sure I'm not really sure around whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. I think it could be both. There's pros and cons to that. Um, The pro was that I really felt like my symptoms were managed relatively quickly and appropriately, um, and that I didn't have to wait with the unknown for very long. But at the same time, it didn't really provide a lot of space to sit and process what was going on before moving into a pretty aggressive treatment plan. So it was kind of go, 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 go with no real break. Um, So taking in a lot of information over that short period of time was a little bit um, definitely overwhelming, but I think a little bit confusing to navigate, confusing to understand and catch up on, um, especially as a teen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. And, And how did your diagnosis then inform sort of your path in life or was it, were you always sort of on that clinical social worker path or did the lupus diagnosis sort of change your direction at all? Sure, so I didn't even know that social work existed. Um, Even though I met a few social workers um, in the medical system, 
I didn't really know what they did. I knew that they maybe came in every once in a while for my visits, said hi, maybe talked to my parents once or twice about a school letter, um, something to that effect, but I didn't really know the role that they play within one's care. Um, so my original plan was to go into some kind of school psychology. Um, I was interested in psychology and knew that pretty confidently. Knew I wanted to work with people. Psychology was kind of what was being taught at my high school, what most people think of when they think of, you know, working with someone else um, in that capacity. But when I was in college, I was introduced to social work actually because I got sick. So in sophomore year of college, um, I actually had a really significant CNS lupus flare um, and had to take some time away from school and make up those credits later on. I was working in a psychology lab at the time and some older graduate students recommended um, a social work class to get some of those credits back that I had to make up. And I kind of thought it'd be an easy class to take, an easy credits, um, kind of fluffy. Um, but actually when I wound up taking it, I really felt like it reflected my values, my ethics, my thoughts on the whole person, the importance of the whole person and the context around them. And it made me think about my own experience within a really complex system, which is the healthcare system. Before that, I was really focused on school psychology, felt like it was my path. Um, but as I took that class and was immersed with, as I said, those value-based thoughts and feelings and practices that really matched where I was, I knew that that was my real path and that I could meld my personal experience and some professional training to provide a unique sense of empathy and compassion and practice for people going through the medical system. I felt like my family did not have that many challenges. I mean, we had good insurance. We were, you know, middle class. We had kind of everything you'd expect would set you up for success within the medical system, yet still had a lot of challenges. So I couldn't help but think, what does this look like for families that don't have these resources in place? So how can I use how I navigated this system and help other people do the same thinking about that context and the whole person and their environment. I think that's it. When we started the Lupus LA pediatric support group at Children's Hospital, that's exactly the motivation that I had was I essentially had it easy from a insurance parents, you know, support system. And I would see these patients at Children's Hospital, especially, first of all, they're waiting months to get seen. And then once they're seen, sometimes there's a language barrier. Sometimes there's, you know, and it was so incredible as we developed the program to see the change in people. Um, and and I'll, I'll just sort of outline what we did was um, we created a program that really hadn't been done before where the kids, the, the patients were seen, but at the same time, the parents also were seen in their their own support group. It's still going on. So they are seen. Um, and then also the siblings had a place to go, a supervised uh, playtime essentially, so that everybody in the family could really be part of the support of the patient. And you were a huge part of creating that program. And so I wonder how much of your personal experience really helped um, shape that program over the years? Sure. Um, I think so much because 
even when I'm not working with lupus patients or patients with other rheumatic diseases, I'm still thinking about my own health experience because I am coming from, as I said, this kind of unique sense of being a patient professional. Um, and so to me, I'm always coming into my job with at least some aspect of my personal self, um, though, though with some foundation and professional training. So the groups for me also made me reflect on what would I have wanted for myself and my family? Um, when I was that age, I was kind of too cool for school. I wasn't really excited about taking part in a lot of programs like that. I wasn't really interested in meeting other kids or meeting other families or being that engaged in support. But what the groups made me reflect on was how much I had missed. And thinking about what I would have wanted at that age really helped us shape a program in a meaningful way. So not just coming from a professional side, thinking about what patients and families would benefit from, but also really being able to sit with and sink into what are some of the needs and topics and support and environments that I think would have been really helpful in my journey as a patient and also my family's journey. For sure. And I, I love what you said, you were a patient professional. And I also it occurred to me, you're a professional patient. I mean, that's, you know, and, and it's true. I mean, I feel the same way, you know, my experience translates to the work we do. Um, but it's, it's very tangible, I think, when it comes to kids. Um, and my own experience, I have a daughter who is now a rheumatology patient. Um, and she's too young to participate at Children's Hospital. She's a patient there, but I, you know, and I'm so excited for her in the sense that when she's old enough, she really will get to have that support system, which I, of course, never had back in, you know, the late 80s. Um, and I think it's seeing the results has really been incredible. Um, so tell me, give me an example. Give me your favorite results story without naming names. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, there's a lot. There were a lot of success stories. Um, and I'll, I'll toot our own horn. We did a really great job and saw some really great outcomes. Um, I think always my favorite story um, or stories is when I see patients like me where they're, they're being sort of dragged into this group, either by their family or their doctors are telling them they have to come or for some reason they feel that they don't wanna be there, but they have to be. And my favorite stories are the ones that come back um, a few times. And after a few times, they say, this group was so cool. I, am, I was so excited to be at this group. I shared my number with someone else in this group. Um, I friended someone on Facebook that I met in this group or Instagram. Those are the stories that really resonate with me because I can see myself in those patients of thinking, I don't need this support. Who is this support for? I'm doing just fine. Um, but then them realizing this is such an amazing resource. It's a cool environment. It's so nice to get validation um, from other people who have gone through this exact same thing. Um, you know, we always talk about in group, there are words, for example, that if you're talking with your family, they don't resonate with. So if you say I'm tired to a family member, do they know what that tired really means? Do they know that it's not just that you can take a nap and wake up and feel refreshed? 
that it's pure exhaustion or that there really isn't a word that describes the type of tired that we're talking about. And, you know, that simple wording and knowing that other people are understanding exactly what you mean, what a game changer, what a game changer. So even the smallest little details, I think, help promote a sense of unity, of community, of um, sort of like normalization a little bit of like, yeah, there are other people that feel this way and they're able to do some of the things that I want to do. And they can show me how to do that in a way that might help me be able to do that or talk to my family about that. So those are always my favorite success stories um, is when they come in and they're a little, little hard to catch or hard yeah. to um you know, engage with, or they don't want to participate in an activity or being really quiet. And they go from that to being real leaders and, and helping mm-hmm. other patients in the group and kind of paying it forward to them. I think that when we were talking the other day, you said that support group is not necessarily for you as the person attending it always. It can be for you, but you are also there to support other patients. And I think, I think teaching that to people um, is really important because I think it takes a little bit of the stigma away of a support group. All right, we're going to talk specifics about some of the challenges that pediatric lupus patients face, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. Lupus LA offers virtual support groups on a weekly basis and a bilingual and family support groups once every month. Visit our website at lupusla.org. Welcome back to the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. We're talking with Liz Morasso about pediatric rheumatology, and um, we want to get into some specifics. So tell me what you see as, I think, the, the biggest challenge a newly diagnosed lupus teenager or you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old faces when they actually get that diagnosis. I think fear of the unknown, fear of the unknown for sure. And I know that I experienced that too. Um, Lupus and rheumatology and rheumatic diseases is not something that's widely talked about or known within the medical community or within the community. And so, you know, I know my family experienced this and most of our families experienced this where it's, well, you're not 80 or my, my grandmother has arthritis why does my 10-year-old child have arthritis? Why does my 12-year-old child have arthritis? I mean, really any young person, it's like, why does this adolescent, you know, even a young, young adult, why do they have this diagnosis that's typically for older people? Um, and so I think that that is a really, really challenging piece for both patients and families is that unknown. And we know developmentally that for most children, when they don't have information, they tend to go to the worst possible place. So if you're not talking to your children about their diagnosis, um, for example, or even as a parent, as an adult, um, you're not being open around those things or not obtaining information or receiving information about what's going on to your child. Um, we all tend to think the worst. So I say developmentally, but I think even as adults, we you know, operate kind of the same. That when we don't have that information, we think we go to the absolute worst place. So pain, for example, when you see your child going through pain, 
it's so understandable that if you're not sure what they've been diagnosed with, you don't know the language, you don't know the medications, that this is such unknown territory. Even as an adult, your brain might go to that place of this is worst case scenario. And as a child, for sure, they think the exact same thing, but they don't have a lot of a developmental kind of resources to not go there. While adults might be able to more easily get that, get the more concrete information or seek information or be able to ask questions, children don't have that yet. And so I think that that's really challenging is that fear of what is next? You know, what am I going to be able to do? What am I not going to be able to do? And I see that as a challenge for almost every newly diagnosed family. Mm -hmm. And I think it then once that settles in and you realize, okay, maybe this is not health wise, the worst case scenario, then you get into these challenges of socialization, uh, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, that kind of thing. I, I always found when I visited the support groups, that was sort of the main question. Um, and, you know, when I was single, I had a different story to share with the groups. But, you know, as I got older, I got married and, you know, and you could see the um, the light go on, you know, in these kids because they really worry about being alone, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. And understandably so. I think anything that, especially at a young age, sets us apart from our peers is really scary and can, again, feel like worst case scenarios. So just like with health, um, it can feel like, okay, I have this thing that's different about me. I'm going to go to the worst place, which is that I'm never going to have friends. I'm never going to have a relationship. I'm never going to be able to reach the goals that I wanted to. Um, and so Obviously, that is going to create so much fear and anxiety and and sometimes results in more isolation or more not wanting to put yourself out there and see really what the world has to give you back because the potential is for real vulnerability. Um, And vulnerability is really scary no matter what age you are. Again, I see myself in a lot of those patients because I had similar fears Um, you know, same Adam, like you were saying before you were in a relationship, you know, what does that look like when you're single? What does it look like now that you're married? And what were some of the processes that helped you have open engagement and receive the support that is so important for all of us? Um, These are really difficult things to see when you are not at that end point of having a partner, having a job, going to college, doing some of these things, you know, these milestones that other people your age are going through what I saw in a lot of the support groups and what I saw you dealing with a lot was this transition education wise, you know, okay. Most of them were in high school or middle school, but going into college and careers and, and that to me is an extreme source of stress, which obviously can affect your health outcome. And so um, what's the advice you give to, to patients who are, um, and we're going to talk next about transitioning from pediatric care to adult care, but, but just from a educate, you know, next level of education or next step stage in life, what's, what is, what's the advice you give? Sure. I think you never know until you try. Um, and I think that fear can really keep anyone away from doing challenging things and many times challenging things for lupus patients are things that might be a little bit more normal for other other people, um, but still challenging. So for anybody, it's challenging to go to college. For anyone, it's challenging to go 
um, into a work environment. But when you have considerations like how am I going to get my needs accommodated in this environment? Um, how am I going to ensure that I can navigate this environment? How am I going to ensure that I'm comfortable here? Um, that's really, really scary. So I always just recommend to put yourself out there and the energy that you give out will hopefully get the energy that you want to get back in. And that worked for me. I know it's not perfect every time, but that was the only way I learned was having some self-confidence and enough self-confidence to be able to put myself out there, even in really challenging situations. It was really helpful to be diagnosed early. I knew I have this diagnosis. I know how it affects me. What does that look like preparing for college, preparing for grad school, preparing for a partnership with my husband, um, preparing for work? Having a diagnosis when I was young allowed me to think of all those things beforehand instead of having yeah. to later on yeah. go back and adapt everything I'd already established in my life to my new diagnosis. So I know I hear a lot of people saying, oh my goodness, it must have been so terrible to be diagnosed so young. And now that I work with adults and children, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my adults have such a more difficult time with their diagnosis or um, flare or whatever is changing their health status than my younger patients. So I actually saw it as kind of a pro in my life that I was able to have that knowledge and experience going into some of these milestones, but it was also accompanied with getting vulnerable and doing some really uncomfortable things. When you have it as a teenager, your whole life becomes wrapped in it. And then, so you don't have a choice of, you know, telling people when you go to college or telling, you know, so you really learn kind of the language, which I think really is helpful. So tell me, tell me about the transition out of a children's hospital or a pediatric rheumatologist into adult care. And, and I think from the doctor's perspective, I know the concern is you kind of lose a lot of patients in transition, especially the ones that might be doing well at the time they, they, they sort of lose the pediatric rheumatologist. So what do you think? I think that's kind of a real pressing need in our community. Um, so give me your thoughts on that. Sure. So transition for me was without a lot of support. It was like a learn as you go. Um, I honestly kept my pediatric rheumatologist while I was at college um, because I knew that I could go home three hours away and, and see her and follow up with her. And it, it felt comfortable that way. My lupus was relatively controlled when I entered college. Um, in my sophomore year, I had a huge flare. And the question was that when I return, when and if I return to college in Washington, D.C., when I lived in New Jersey, how was I going to navigate my care in D.C.? Was I going to rely on emergency rooms if I was having a flare? Was I just going to call my parents and have them take the train down? I mean, what was going to be the plan in place now that we really needed to have continuity? Um, and so it was almost like a forced transition where I almost felt like it was a punishment of like, okay, I got sick. Now I have to go into adult care. Um, and the handoff was behind the scenes. I wasn't really a part of it and therefore didn't really feel that empowered in the process. 
What has changed, thankfully, is that there is a lot more mindfulness around how this is affecting our, our um, teen and young adult patients. We know that patients do not do as well when they don't have some kind of transition and transfer plan. And by transition, I mean just transition to adulthood, not even just transition to another medical facility, but can you advocate for yourself? Do you have understanding of your medical needs? Do you know your medications? Do you have your driver's license? Can you drive to your appointment? So some of those milestones of just becoming an adult are really important. And then there's that transfer piece, which is the physical transfer of your care to another facility. And so I think there's much more acknowledgement around the importance of transition and transfer to adult care. And there's many amazing programs across the country that are not only recognizing this, but building really incredible programs within their systems and partnerships with other adult systems to be able to provide more support around both the transition and transfer aspect of that. Um, at Children's, we had a program and have a program called the My Voice Transition Clinic. And My Voice is an incredible program that offers both that transition and transfer piece and really sets patients up for success. And we see amazing outcomes when those patients are transferred to adult care because they're ready. They're ready emotionally. They're ready physically. They're ready to go. And they have that empowerment piece that I feel like was sort of missing in my experience. No, it's, that's... That's inspirational to me. Um, I know you've been such a big part of that process for so many kids. Um, so I really thank you for all the work you've done for lupus patients, for all rheumatology patients, and um, and you're still working with Lupus LA. So we love having you. And um, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Of course, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. On behalf of the entire team at Lupus LA, we thank you for joining the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. Please tune in, spread the word, and come back for more inspiring lupus stories. I'm your host, Adam Selkowitz, wishing you good health, and to always remember, your story is our fight. <laughs>